Well, grace, mercy, and the peace of our risen and reigning Lord Jesus be with you this day. Amen. As we continue to celebrate our Lord's resurrection and his victory over the grave, over death, we do that concluding the series that we started during Lent that we called 40, looking at various times of 40 throughout the Bible. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. The the rain came down for 40 days and 40 nights. The people of Israel, the spies were in the land for 40 days, and then the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, here is a victorious 40 that is in our view today. I wish I had a good card trick that I could show you, one where it was just, like, amazing. You know, one of those sleight-of-hand things, the, the magic trick. I just, I've never learned those things. I kind of wish I could because it would be a really good way to begin today's message. Because what the eye sees and the ears hear, the mind believes. That's a quote from Harry Houdini, a great illusionist. What the eye sees, the mind believes. Seeing is believing. Or at least that's true much of the time. There's a book called Guesses at Truth. It was written in the 1800s, 1848. It says this. Seeing is believing, says the proverb. Though of all our senses, the eyes are the most easily deceived. We believe them in preference to any other evidence. We like to believe what we see. We prefer seeing to other evidence, to other ways that we can understand things or learn things, our eyes are preferred. Evidence is important. So we examine the evidence. When there's a trial going on, there's testimony, which is the report from someone who is a witness, and there's the evidence, right? Maybe forensic evidence, sometimes even circumstantial evidence. We like to see things. They'll have people visualize. They'll have diagrams and photographs and pictures or video if it's available. There's a significant trial happening in Minnesota now for police officer Derek Chauvin. And there's a lot of evidence being introduced and people who are witnesses who saw what was happening being put on the stand. Have you ever heard a story that didn't make sense? Something that just didn't quite compute? Probably we have. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that are like that, right? Sometimes in the news, the surprising thing that happened, and nobody can understand quite how it took place. But if there's no evidence presented and no eyewitnesses brought forward, then what's our reaction most of the time? Complete this sentence. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is, for most people, I also heard it is, right? If it seems too good to be true, if it's surprising to us, built into our justice system is this phrase, beyond a reasonable doubt, right? So reasonable doubt can set in. We face doubts. We want tangible evidence. We want something that supports what someone's telling us. 
right? We want to read the fine print. When they knock on your door and say, we'll sell you internet for $7 or whatever. Like, really? <laughs> they call me on the phone all the time. Somehow, I am signed up to travel. And, you know, the hotel deal, and they're going to give me the stay in this hotel. And I don't even, I mean, it's always it's a robocall. It's not even a person, right? You have been selected. Off. Because I'm sure there's a catch, right? We're always convinced that there's a catch, that there's something not true, that there's something that's disconnected from what we're hearing. We have doubt. Thomas had doubt. We've had doubts. We've maybe felt small and disconnected from God and, and doubted his presence, doubted his understanding. There were doubts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus, and yet still there were eyewitnesses. And that's why it's important. See, the disciples all saw the risen Christ. The first part of this reading from John chapter 20 is Easter. It's the first day of the week, and the doors are locked, and they're still in the room, right? So the first part of it is Easter Sunday, so a continuation from where we were last week. Different narratives describe it differently. Who saw Jesus? Who went to the tomb? When exactly did all the things take place? Which is fine. Any event that happens, there's afterwards some confusion about how it went down, right? Multiple witnesses to a car accident will describe what happened in very different ways. So I don't have any problem with those who report in the Gospels how all the arrivals at the tomb happened and who said what and when they started to see Jesus, that doesn't bother me. Luke's Gospel, for example, chapter 24, it puts them in the room and Jesus comes. And it's interesting to, to look at that against John chapter 20, because typically the week after Easter, we're right here in John chapter 20, and we're talking about Thomas. You know what Luke 24 says? Jesus shows up, and they, and you'll hear this next week because it's the gospel reading next Sunday, they disbelieved for joy. And I think it was the sounds too good to be true moment, right? It seems too good to be true that Jesus was alive. Christ is risen. I kind of thought I might sneak that one past you today. You're on top of it. If you're one of the disciples in the room and Jesus shows up, Luke says you disbelieve for joy. So it was only Thomas who vocalized it. Poor guy, he's known as Doubting Thomas for the rest of history. Eight days later, a week later, there's Thomas, and Jesus comes back, and he got to see, and he was offered to touch. So here's the question about the resurrection. What if there were no witnesses? What if it was just the tomb was empty, and we believe he rose from the dead, but we don't know. Does that change the whole story? Does that change the whole history? I certainly think it does. 
What if John and Peter ran and found the empty tomb and had a report that the tomb was empty and there was somebody who said, and we can't find that guy anymore to ask him further questions and follow up, but he said Jesus had risen. But Jesus proved it. And so we conclude our series about 40s because Jesus showed up for 40 days. This is what verse 3 from Acts 1 said. He presented himself alive to them, meaning the apostles, that's the them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now Luke is writing Acts and he addresses it to a person named Theophilus. In my first book, O Theophilus, I wrote about these things. Luke was an investigator in this. This is like, if Luke were doing this today, he'd make a documentary. <laughs> and he'd find people and he would put them on the screen and, and you know, might, he might interview them and then have you know, some dramatic portrayal happening while the person was sharing their story. Oh, and then Jesus did this. And then he showed up. So if there's someone who's going to report that there are witnesses, well, the investigator is one that you trust, right? Luke investigated. He found people who had seen Jesus. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And this is what he says beginning in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Paul had done some investigative work. He knew that Jesus appeared to at least 500 people over the course of these 40 days. Evidence demands a verdict. That's a paraphrase of a Josh McDowell book title. Evidence demands a verdict. When evidence is presented, it leads us to a conclusion, right? The evidence of Jesus' resurrection is significant. There were people who witnessed him living, breathing, eating, walking, hanging out by the seashore doing a whole bunch of things, at least 500 people over the course of 40 days. So what's the verdict? For the apostles, the verdict was, we believe and this changes everything. We believe and now we'll claim this resurrection and this faith to the very bitter end. And for most of them, it was... A bitter end. Many of them were martyred for this faith because of this story that they continued to tell. Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, Pelikan wrote this, If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. The witnesses say he is risen. So nothing else matters. Nothing else mattered to the apostles. And we are blessed with faith in Jesus.
We're blessed with faith, and faith is our evidence. We don't get to be among those 500. We don't get to experience those 40 days when Jesus was showing up in the room, when the doors were locked, and everybody's like, whoa, that's cool, but kind of freaky. (laughs) We don't get to have that same experience, but faith is our evidence. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're not going to see Jesus in that same way. It's unlikely, at least. I mean, Jesus showed up a little later for Saul and transformed him into Paul the Apostle. It's possible. I'm not going to say Jesus can't do it. (laughs) It's just not something he routinely does. So we don't get to have that experience, but by faith, believing is seeing. So we have what we need to trust in the Lord by faith. We have the evidence through the witnesses. And by faith we receive that and we believe that and we can understand and even see Jesus. We have the assurance of his resurrection. And even though we won't touch nail-scarred hands, we know those scars were for us. We do experience the presence of Jesus in our lives, in his word, through the sacrament. Jesus is with us. Jesus is among us. By the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus is in us. And so even though we won't have that same tangible kind of experience that Thomas was asking for and that probably all the disciples actually needed, we have a tangible experience experience of Jesus, and a very real experience of Jesus in our lives, working in us, being among us. And blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's what Jesus says in John 20 to Thomas, when Thomas's confession, my Lord, my God, and Jesus says, have, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those have not seen and yet have believed. We're blessed by faith, and faith sustains us. Toward the end of this chapter in John 20, John says, you know, Jesus did a bunch of stuff, and I don't have time or space to write it all down. But these are written so that you may believe, and by believing you will have life in his name. He's given us life, life in his name through our doubts that we may face. We have life in his name. Through hard times we experience, we still have life in his name. Through our 40s, not the age, though that too. But through those 40 kind of experiences, through the times when we've struggled through temptation. Through the times we've wandered and gone whatever direction suited us in the moment. Through the times we've been called back to repentance. Through all of our experiences, our trials, our testing, our temptation, Jesus is still with us. And faith can still sustain us. This is the blessing of faith that we have in Christ.
What tests are we yet to face? We've been through a trial, <laughs> and it feels like we're coming toward the end of it. But still, we don't quite know. <laughs> Hopefully, things keep getting better related to a virus and a pandemic. But maybe as we think that and as we say that, there's other things on your heart, other things in your mind, other trials and testing that you're even enduring, even right now, even today. Look for Jesus to appear during those times. Be sustained by faith in Christ. Because faith is a gift. Having received that gift, Jesus sends his people as witnesses. The apostles were sent. The word apostle that we have in our English Bible is from a Greek word apostolos, so it's a pretty easy one. And that word means sent one. The disciples became apostles when they were sent. Sent into the world. Many times we focus on the end of Matthew for that sending, the great commission. When Jesus tells his disciples, go make disciples, or his apostles, go make disciples of all nations. Here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There was a sending in John chapter 22. At verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So now this story, shared by these witnesses of Jesus who saw him during those 40 days, has spanned the globe. And from, from each of us, we could trace that path how did it get to us? How did it get into our lives, into our families, into our homes, into our communities? Because there were witnesses, because there were people who were telling the story. That story has come to us. Over the course of time, through the sharing of many, many people, the work of missionaries, of pastors and teachers, of households and family members, of neighbors and friends, and through the word that we read, that is preached, that is proclaimed, what started there has gotten here. Has gotten into our lives, has gotten into our homes, has changed our eternity, and now has called us to follow the same path. We are his witnesses. So he sends us to share what we know. What we've seen what we've heard, how we've been touched and affected and transformed by the work of the Spirit in our lives. We can't say we have seen the Lord the same way the disciples did in Jerusalem, but we can say we have seen the Lord in the ways that he has appeared to us, in the ways that we've been changed or challenged, the ways that we've been guided by God, the ways that we've been blessed with this life in his name, we have seen the Lord. We have seen him in the sacrament, we've seen him in his promises, and by faith, through 40 days and much more, we have seen 
the Lord. So where is Jesus sending you? Be his witness. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen.